The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars, episode 64. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hey everybody, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, a.k.a. Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Today, nothing big to talk about, but we are talking about the season finale for season two of The Mandalorian. It's called The Rescue. So joining me, on, joining me tonight on the panel are Andrew Hermes. Hey, Father. Can't believe this is uh, the end of season two. I know. This is the second. Yeah, season two. Yeah. Next up, we have Angela Cialana. Hey, everybody. I don't have to work tomorrow, so we can go as late as we need to go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Third up this evening is Thomas Sanherjo. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. And last is Mike Creevy. We've got a full house tonight. McClunky. <laughs> yes, I knew you were. I was so I was so happy to hear that in this episode too. Yeah, it it was here. We'll get to it later, I'm sure. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, so we're gonna just kind of jump right into it because this was kind of definitely the the, the big thing that happened, and uh, we are wrapping up season two of The Mandalorian. So quite an explosive and revelatory episode. So. I'm sure you guys had, uh, you know, not not very strong reactions to this, but you know, why don't, why don't you share what you, <laughs> none, what you thought? None, none. Uh, I, w- I was. It was interesting because when when they did the big reveal, which we'll get to, and I won't, you know, go too much into it. But um, when they did the big reveal, there was a lot of uh, of different opinions about it in my house. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure we'll get there too. But it was not all. We were not of one solid opinion around here. <laughs> You know, again, we're, we'll get to it, to the big reveal, but, you know, as like I mentioned in a previous podcast, you know, c- considering who it ended up being, you know, I didn't mention before that I, I didn't think it would be a good idea, but, uh, you know, I have to admit what, when it, when it happened, I, I did get up off of my couch and stood up the rest of the episode and I was by myself <laughs> um, and, and got very emotional. So uh, mm-hmm. it did, it did sort of changed my tune um the the way they 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 sort of executed it and the episode as a whole i think was just so strong throughout and mm-hmm. um they hit it out of the park and i thought it was uh, uh, uh as good of an ending as you could have had for for the season and i, I something I'm, i think we'll probably get into later um but i i'm increasingly very interested now uh, more than ever before to to see i think a lot of really cool potential uh connections that they've set themselves up for here with grogu uh and, and i mean I, like whatever they want to do with him for 
a thousand years of storyline mm-hmm. um and and the way that he is is they've positioned him to be this potential like linchpin character that crosses all of it you know so so deliberately and uh and so the more i've thought about it the more i keep like oh my gosh this and oh my gosh that and uh, you know so like uh you know things about his past things about his future you know so i i really came away from it with even though they're obviously kind of you know moving things in a certain direction where there's there can be this parting um it's definitely not nearly the last we've seen of 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 him you know mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm very excited to see all the ways that they can potentially you know connect the dots with that storyline such a brilliant way and they gotta sell more toys yes <laughs> of course <laughs> to, to, me, to me included so. <laughs> exactly <laughs> um for me i just i loved not knowing what to expect mm. going into this episode and um i i I kept that mindset throughout as I was watching. I didn't want to make any assumptions or have any particular expectations for the story. Um, and I, I am satisfied definitely with how everything turned out. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of diving into the details here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say I, one more thing. Because yeah. I, I, my, my favorite line in the whole episode was Cardoon. Oh, one X-Wing? Yeah. We're saved. <laughs> <laughs> the flawless delivery. But but also how meta. Like, because, oh, yeah. like, yeah. oh, it's great. Um, I, I would just kind of echo uh, pretty much everything that you said. Uh, Andrew, I, too, was, like, on the edge of my seat alone in my living room <laughs> as I was watching the, the all, it all unfold. And... Um, and I, I too was uh, satisfied with where they went. It wasn't what I expected or what I had hoped, but it was, it was satisfying and it made sense. Um, and I thankfully was able to watch it without any spoilers beforehand. So to have that unexpectedness yeah. and that just, just mm-hmm. being able to go along for the ride was, was really, really fun. And I think that this is, this is star Wars at its best. Um, you know, the Mandalorian has sort of encapsulated like the core and the essence of Star Wars. And I I blame uh, Dave Filoni for that, which is uh, and John, John Favreau, too, of course. But, you know, this this story has just kind of captured what we love about Star Wars. And I've had a lot of conversations with people and <laughs> I had a parishioner come up to me after mass this morning and ask me something about the parish. And then he goes, and I have something else to ask you about Father Fett. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, All right. yes, you found nice. me. Like, put the helmet on. <laughs> Should have pulled it out behind my, behind my chasuble. Um, you know, but, but he was like, you know, what'd you think? What'd you think? And I was like, so, you know, you get into that conversations and, and I, I, as I've talked about it, I, I almost wish this is where Disney had started with, with their reign of Star Wars versus the sequel trilogy. Because we now sort of, I mean, the storyline is sort of set because we know where things are going and what Mm -hmm. potentially can happen with Grogu and and Luke's spoiler alert, Mm -hmm. Luke's, you know, um, and and they're, I don't think Disney is going to let Grogu get killed in that, but, but we sort of know where the story goes and how it (laughs) fails. So I, I sort of wish we didn't have that and we just sort sort of had it open-ended, but uh, back to, back to this, this was, I mean, this gave us everything that we love about star Wars. So I think it was, I think it was awesome. IMDB also agrees, at least the people who were rating it on IMDB. <laughs> I pulled up the, the ratings. And if you remember, we talked about the, the Jedi, the episode, the Jedi, 
mm-hmm. is still ranked at 9.5 stars and it's got about 20,000 votes. This episode has oh, or has right at 30,000 votes and it's 9.9. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Uh, it seems to be fairly universal that this this particular episode is just knocking it out of the park. So with that, let's jump into it because there's a heck of a lot to discuss. Uh, the episode itself was written, of course, by John Favreau and directed by Peyton Reed, who also directed Chapter 10, right? The Passenger mm-hmm. uh, with yep. the with the wonderful yeah. ice spiders yeah. that with the spiders, thankfully yeah. did <laughs> not show up again. Man. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we kind of pick up right where we left off. We know that, that Din has the coordinates of Moff Gideon's cruiser, and so they starts off with Slave One attacking an Imperial shutter, shuttle with Dr. Pershing aboard. How they found the, the shuttle is kind of left up to your imagination, but they, they find it and disable it and board the, the Imperial shuttle. And I will say that just kind of on a sidebar, when... when <clears throat> When the slate when slave one like is going up through the cockpit viewfinder, mm-hmm. it totally reminded <laughs> me of and I don't know if if any of you have had this experience, but ha- if anybody's uh, gone through the VR experience of Vader Immortal on the Oculus Quest, mm-hmm. you get boarded by a no. by an Imperial Star Destroyer right off the bat. And it's the same sort of like you look up and you see this huge Star Destroyer just kind of overcome you and it's i i kind of had flashbacks because that was that was a bit traumatic (laughs) in the vr experience so they they board and din and kara are there and they are trying to get uh dr pershing and dr pershing apparently has no real loyalty to anyone except for maybe his own work because he is he is very happy to just uh relinquish any information on grogu and anything that that he can and we have a sort of brutal mocking that happens between one of the pilots and, and Kara, which was which was a bit uh, sad to kind of see that play out and how. But it was great acting. Oh, totally. I this yeah. was a really compelling um, opening mm-hmm. scene. Can I just say one 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 real quick thing? Uh, Doctor Pershing's glasses really annoy me because <laughs> well because I tried transitions lenses like once. <laughs> and that's what it always felt like, you know, where I was always stuck in between. They're never know, right. Like they're yeah. just, they're <laughs> never on the right side of things. So. You know, so I feel, yeah. You ought to try them now. The technology is really advanced. I've got them. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah. So. Maybe, maybe it's kind of reflective of his personality as a whole, right? He's neither light yeah. nor dark. He's just kind, kind of shady. Shady little... gray. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he's, yeah, he seems like the quintessential kind of lab, lab rat where, yeah. His work is kind of everything to him and whoever uses it maybe is not a it doesn't really bother him too much. And we learned about the um the tattoo that yeah. that Kara has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What that means. Yeah. Yeah, he and he calls it uh the pilot calls it a tear, which is appropriate because mm-hmm. it's right right under her left eye and it's uh it's the rebellion sign, but it's it's mm-hmm. a tattoo on her under her left eye. And yeah, it's a it's a marker that she is from Alderaan. And, you know, with the with the terrible tragedy of of the destruction of Alderaan. But that, of course, he he plays right into that with with Kara and mocking her for for being from Alderaan and and 
she's... I'm not sure what he was shooting for there, though. That's like, like what was his plan? <laughs> he, well, I love her response, too, though, to that. You know, he's yeah. like, I was on the Death Star. She's like, which one? You know? No, okay. Yeah. We took out a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he didn't, he didn't survive that encounter. Um, car's, a, car's a good shot. So, so they do capture the, the shuttle and they, they capture Dr. Pershing and they then land on this kind of industrial planet with two moons. I saw one suggestion out there that this, this could potentially be Lothal. Mm. It mm. wasn't obvious in any sense, but Lothal has two moons and it's kind of an industrial planet and Bo-Katan might have uh, connections to Lethal because of her connections to uh, Sabine and, and the Rebels. So, don't know. We, that, that was not at all clear. But they, they land and we, we see the, the gauntlet fighter that is definitely mm-hmm. the same one that Bo-Katan uses. I, I went back and watched Heroes of, Man- Heroes of Mandalore, so Rebels mm-hmm. Season 4, Episodes 1 and 2. And the same ship is, is used within those, those episodes as well. So we know that he's he's there to to go ask Bo-Katan for help, and we encounter them, of course, in the cantina, which is where all it's like the watering hole. <laughs> yeah, that's where you meet. They're everyone. never in coffee shops. They're never in coffee shops. <laughs> yeah. They're always in cantinas. You know, always a uh, always in the bar. Yeah. Uh, so Bo-Katan and and Casca Reeves are there, and my first question that I asked myself was, "Where is Axe?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But. On a on a mission, I guess. Yeah. yeah, maybe he's I don't know, going gathering intel further. I don't know. Anyways, he wasn't there, but Casca and Bo-Katan were there, and we have a an encounter with all. So Din and Boba Fett and Bo-Katan and Casca Reeves are all there, and they're they're talking, and and Din is trying to get Bo-Katan to help him in their mission, and initially Bo-Katan refuses. And then Bo- Boba Fett starts talking, and they start to scoff at Boba Fett, calling him not a true Mandalorian. And we get we got so many random insults in this episode. Did you guys? <laughs> but this, that? But there was there was absolutely nothing random about this scene though, because this is really really important. The reason that Boba Fett, Boba Fett, not Jango Fett, but Boba Fett, is not a Mandalorian, is because he's a clone. Mm-hmm. And that is very important because then it, it immediately attaches in Bo-Katan's mind to I've heard your voice a million times mm-hmm. before. Yeah. So if they recognize him as a Mandalorian, every single clone trooper is also a Mandalorian. Because I was wondering about that. Like, does that mean she doesn't um, think that that Din is? But she clearly does because right. she treated him like one. So that's actually that's a really good point. Yeah. Don't you mean your donor? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. this is a really, really important scene that clarifies why it is that Boba Fett is being left out of the Mandalorian umbrella. Huh. Well, and, mm. and he didn't like he didn't claim to be Mandalorian per se. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Django definitely did. And Django was yeah. the foundling and Django was not the clone. So she would count him. Right. right. You'd think. I think right. she would count Django, but then she would not count. Because then you get into this this massive yeah. like okay what are all these things, but mm-hmm. it makes it also might make a very interesting you know argument for her going forward if she's having to rebuild Mandalore, and there's an intent on it being Mandalorian, and you have all of these clones who are 
unique individuals at this point. You know, we've we've seen that they grow out of just this kind of like monotony of being, uh, you know, driven by their training. What does that say for Mandalore going forward and how could that be incorporated? So I don't know. I I was really like we, we had a large discussion about <laughs> about the scene because, you know, once you tease out a little more of what they're saying, it's like, oh, wait, this is really an interesting fight. Not just, mm-hmm. a, you know, they're duking it out in the in the cantina, but like, why does mm-hmm. Bogotan not consider him a Mandalorian? Well, and I think that that's helpful because, uh, yeah, you're right. Without without that context, it felt like just. <laughs> you know two roosters kind of like <laughs> you right. know strutting around and claiming claiming who's better than one another rather than having a deeper actual meaning on what's 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 the cause of the friction between the two of them and, and then um, one rooster you know <laughs> assigns you know pins her uh her, her you know professional wrestler friend to just totally duke it out <laughs> that was totally right. awesome didn't should have brought Kara with him yeah right <laughs> Dude just kind of stands there like, I, not, I'm not going to... No, I'm not involved in this. This is not... Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, but no, thank you for that, Thomas. That, that actually really clarifies this whole thing. I like how they didn't break it up until the flamethrowers... Flamethrowers come out. Now you're flamethrowers. wasting fuel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do learn a couple other interesting tidbits here, though, too, because... Uh, they start to talk about Mandalore and Boba Fett comments that the empire turned the planet to glass. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was interesting because I've heard that terminology used before uh, in a different fandom entirely. It's actually a common thing in the the halo universe where mm-hmm. the, the enemies would glass planets. And basically that would be, they would shoot plasma onto the planet's surface, igniting the, the ground and stuff and turning it all to glass. So all the, all the sand would just turn to glass and they, so it would be, they would glass a planet. And so in my mind, that's, that's essentially probably what happened here too, is that the empire just uh, completely bombarded the planet and turned it to glass. Cause he uses that phrase. He said the empire, the empire turned that planet to glass. Well, and how hard would that have really been considering what shape it was in, you know, 30 years ago? Right. And, you know, like where they're living in those bubble cities and stuff, you know, like well, it wasn't in the best shape. Then. Yeah. And even and even earlier than that, because actually the, the Rebels yeah. episode that I just watched, they were on Mandalore. And so same things, the bubble, the bubble cities were still there, but most of the planet is just kind of a, a wasteland. Yeah, that was actually the interpretation that I heard that um, it had something to do with just how the the Empire had um, used some kind of destructive power to basically turn it into a desert because um, sand, you know, you can, I guess you can turn uh, sand into glass. So mm-hmm. um, heat. that was the interpretation that I heard. Well, and, and it was interesting. And uh, to go back to that rebels episode that I just watched, cause at the end of it, Bo-Katan makes the comment that the empire is going to come back and, and really try to, to harm Mandalore because they had just succeeded in, in, um, in, in defeating Saxon and his, his clan who was working with the empire and they had, uh, passed on the, the dark saber to, to Bo-Katan and kind of, <laughs> basically claimed their independence from the empire and the empire was it was set up that the empire would retaliate so we haven't seen that happen but that happens sometime between that those episodes of rebels and where we find ourselves in the mandalorian so that was that was a interesting connection that i i watched uh this afternoon also then there 
it finally after kind of all the fighting and everything din reveals that they have the coordinates of moff gideon's cruiser and so that is what causes bo katan to basically want to to jump in and help because she's trying to get the dark saber back and she knows that moff gideon has the dark saber and she says this a number of times through the episode and it after watching through it once it makes sense but she reiterates time and time again that she wants to be the one either to kill the moff and take what is rightfully hers or that Moff Gideon has to be the one to surrender to her specifically. Mm-hmm. And that that she kind of says that multiple times. And so that becomes a little bit clear later on in the episode, which has its own complications, too. So Din basically tells her that the child is his priority. So he does not even care about what she she does or does not do with with the Darksaber. Which is important that we hear him say that right in the <laughs> beginning of this episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh season three stuff right there so they come up with a plan and they are going to infiltrate the imperial cruiser and again dr pershing is just happy to inform them about everything about this cruiser and dr pershing points out that uh, of course even though there's there's less stormtroopers on board there are dark troopers on board and what's interesting about this for all the the nerds out there uh, these are third generation design. Yes. <laughs> so Thomas, they've, they've yeah, you know, all the organic stuff, no yeah. more organic stuff. <laughs> uh, well, and it, and it, it, it matches what's in the dark forces video game in the dark forces video game. There was a phase one, phase two and phase three dark troopers and the phase three dark troopers were the most advanced and the most powerful and, and everything. And that is also what's being reflected here. So we've got, we've got these third generation dark troopers that are just uh pretty pretty impressive in their in their power but we find out that the dark troopers take a few minutes to power up because they are power hungry and so they are stored in a powered down mode and so when they infiltrate the cruiser din may have enough time to go and completely uh uh, lock down the the bay that they're in before they can escape and wreak havoc they're still plugged in with lightning cables (laughs) (laughs) it's not quite the yeah they need they need usb c (laughs) cables not right Right. you gotta take it up a notch but i don't know that that, those couple minutes went by pretty quick too so yeah yeah (laughs) well and i was just sort of actually impressed by how the plan worked for the most part Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know often you have a plan that they weren't ready for what the dark troopers actually were (laughs) right i think that was the only way it didn't work really yeah well and you think of like like bo katan at this point of her career you know like what hasn't she been through so Mm -hmm. i mean it was totally her like here's what we're doing Mm -hmm. got it like "Mm, okay you know (laughs) sounds good to me yeah i just expect i just watch these things and i expect them like the plan to go completely awry and that's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that being the normal thing. And so to, to kind of watch it go more or less how it was supposed to was was a rare thing. Yeah, they've kind of established, even since season one, like Moff Gideon just has like a bunch of stormtroopers and, and they really can't get anything done, you know, until he has to come in and do something about it. Like like mm-hmm. at the end of last season, he had to come in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and bring, bring in that, guns. forget right. that, that, that gun the or whatever I forgot what yeah. it's called. Um, and then in this episode too, like even even though you know we'll get to it, we he's we we think he's defeated, you know he they keep him alive for some uh, exposition that that we really need to hear, and uh, 
and he still, um, you know, manages to spice things up while he's in handcuffs. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, with the with the crew that they've had com- that they've compiled with, especially with Boba Fett and Bogatan, and you know, a a, a then like just decked out in Beskar. I, I think that you know it would. It's very, very uh, believable that they could easily infiltrate and, you know, get to mm-hmm. the point that they did, you mm-hmm. know, without too many uh, setbacks. Right. And especially since the Dark Troopers aren't initially in the fight, if it's just Stormtroopers. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they have no issues with Right. That. Yeah. <laughs> Who can only hit Beskar. Right? Yeah. It seems like they're really good shots when it comes to Beskar. <laughs> I, I feel like if you're if you're the kind of person who's not necessarily, in, you know, super inclined to get wrapped up in fights that you don't really want to be part of uh you got to be the person who has the ship because boba keeps lucking out here where it's like you mm-hmm. know <laughs> see you guys in a little while and just disappears you know like whatever. like like yeah have fun he just gets it's his ship so he gets to like call the shots like i'll be back later you know but that that brings up a good point is that he's not in this episode hardly at all he is there <laughs> just to, to get them you know, to the cruiser and put on the pretend attack. And then he's, he's gone, uh, which, which leaves Bo-Katan and Casca and Fennec and Din and Kara, those five. Can I ask one, one real quick question? Cause I can't, I'm in my mind, I can't remember, but I thought the shot was so cool with like slave one in hyperspace and then like the way it panned and then you see they're following you know mm-hmm. the uh yeah. the, the shuttle tidarium and i was mm-hmm. just like i i can't remember off the top of my head if you've seen convoying vessels in hyperspace before together in, like that in rebels we have yeah i was gonna say okay rebels. okay mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's just, yeah it was just neat like the way they did that you know panning up to the one in mm-hmm. the front you know like the, you didn't know it was there that's just kind of a cool shot yeah there were some really nice shots um the direction was awesome yeah. i think in this episode because when we get to the the fight, then you see those ties come out. Yeah. We see the way that they come out, sort of like almost first right. person yeah. view. That yeah. was so cool. Yeah, yeah that that was that was really cool to see. Kind of a starship. I think the original Starship Troopers kind of feel with that. Mm-hmm. I think, um, which I think I heard somewhere someone was saying. I think did Ralph McQuarrie do some concept <laughs> art on that too? I think you know back in the have. day. I, I think really? so. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt yeah. it. But that was well, kind and of I love, I love too that that's it's an establishing shot that they're using there yeah. too. It's not just it's not just to show off how cool it is to launch Tie Fighters. Right. But it's, okay, this is going to be part of the plot later mm-hmm. when they try and yeah. actually land this <laughs> gigantic shuttle yep. in between yep. this tiny little yeah. you know, right. tiny little range for fighters. Well, and that was yeah, and that was totally part of of Bo-Katan's plan too. Because if they can mm-hmm. crash land there, then they're gonna they're gonna prevent the cruiser from launching more Tie Fighters. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a that that was definitely part of the whole process and uh and it and it succeeded again i i was was quite impressed with uh bo-katan's piloting skills and how she i mean she <laughs> she crashed you know but it's a controlled right. crash mm-hmm. and uh you know so so that all that all happens of course they they exit hyperspace and slave one puts on a show and and they do crash the the shuttle in the the launch bay and <laughs> I mean, you have to assume that Moff Gideon was expecting to be infiltrated, right? I mean, Din, I think. Din broadcasted that he was coming right. for him. Yeah, there were those shots of his, you know, of his face where he's like, Are, is this, mm. is this a legit, yeah. like, yeah, thing that's happening right now? And, 
Yeah, I think maybe he just hesitated too much. Um, well, and, I think uh, it shows it shows how short they are on resources too. I think that's the other thing to you know to keep yeah. in mind that this is they they are so short on resources that they don't question necessarily that this is not the same that the, that they don't know who this pilot is, mm-hmm. uh, but that it's definitely an imperial vessel and it's dropping out of hyperspace, being attacked and asking for help. So yeah let's entertain it for a little while and, and then everything just goes sideways mm-hmm. yeah, you don't have gideon like very suspiciously like vader like do they have a code clearance <laughs> he's, just, <laughs> right. he's just sitting there like no let him in it's an you old know. one but it checks out right. <laughs> uh the other the other question that i had is is where's dr pershing in all of this mm. right because he i don't and even back on slave one <laughs> still i is he locked up on there carbonite <laughs> Bob was like, you know, was like, please Perhaps. let me do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know because he was involved in the. I was, the... I was, I actually said that when I was watching. Yeah. I was like, isn't Doctor Pershing still on the ship? <laughs> What's going on? Maybe he's just sitting in there in his in handcuffs, and he just can't leave. Yeah, I don't know that he he doesn't strike me as the one to put up too much of a convincing. Yeah, you know, he would maybe try to get away, but I don't. Right. He's kind of squirrely, right? <laughs> So either way, he doesn't play a role in this episode at all beyond just the initial kind of, um, you know, but I guess we did get a confirmation early in the episode that he is a clone or he's a cloner uh, scientist. Mm-hmm. So that was more explicit, which was which only confirms everything that we've we've talked about. So is he coming back next season? I I feel like, yeah, because my thing is, like, remember the, the holocron or not holocron, the, um, the hologram with him, um, chapter 12? The, the siege because mm-hmm. uh, my, my big I, I wrote a bunch of questions down and i'm sure we can get some of those too but one of mine is who's the volunteer right you know because mm-hmm. that's obviously that they floated that out there right yeah. well and, and we've never gotten a, a satisfactory answer to where grogu's blood right. is going we right. all like, sort of doing yeah we all sort mm-hmm. of assumed it was to the dark troopers but then it's clear that if the dark troopers are droids right you wouldn't be injecting mm-hmm. grogu's blood in droids so right. well and i think angela called it too like it's and i went back and played it because it, it's very clearly that like that snoke theme when they're at those tanks you know and that's the direction we're headed you know somehow out there so yeah right. and then yeah. plus um later on gideon says um that his that um grogu's blood has the potential to bring order, order to, to the yeah, galaxy yeah. or mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. so that kind of you know tells you that they're they're cloning somebody who is going to be instrumental in bringing about quote-unquote order right like you know from the, the imperial perspective right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i think it's either a snoke uh, you know a, a version or as they're trying to clone the emperor right since we yeah. since again with the sequel trilogy already in place we know that that somehow is happening and maybe that's exactly how they inject the cloned emperor palpatine with force powers mm-hmm. so so this could be yeah setting up some of those those plot lines for for the future i hope not <laughs> we don't need to revisit that <laughs> right right yeah. which is why i what was the again. show was, was it dallas what was the famous show where they pulled the they completely pulled that that awful it was like, a dream cheap, it was all a dream, dream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, 
Lost. <laughs> not to yeah, yeah. Well, see, see, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is at the end of this episode, like we, there was a lot of talk about, you know, not being satisfied with, with kind of where things are going. We'll get there. But, um, but generally I think the important thing to remember here is that I really trust, um, John Favreau and oh, yeah. David oh, yeah. Filoni's yep. ideas <laughs> more than and, anybody. And, and I don't want a retcon. I don't think that's, I, I know they're not going to no. do that. You know, no, I know no. that's not, they, they don't, that's not how they work. Mm-hmm. But right. what they They're do respectful is, of the other filmmakers yeah. to do that. Exactly. Well, and they, yeah. they deepen, they deepen what was already there to such an extent that you go back and watch it and you're like, oh, okay. Right. Okay. I can see that. I feel better about that now. You know, I mean, like listening to, to Filoni's talk about fatherhood and yeah. how it affected mm-hmm. Anakin, man, it makes those, the, the prequel trilogies. Yeah. Well, as many problems mm-hmm. as they have actually like really deep movies that yeah. have a lot of meaning to them. Yeah. And just to point out that, I mean, the prequels make a whole lot more sense and feel more complete when you watch what Filoni did in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so this is this is a similar sort of thing that the sequels will have a greater depth with the story that is set up here. Well, and and even the fact that we now have officially canonically established that Grogu was there the whole time, Mm -hmm. you know, all like he was there. Episode one, two, three, like he's there somewhere. So Mm -hmm. you open up all sorts of possibilities Mm -hmm. with that, which is kind of cool, too. Yeah. The layers of it. So I I mean, I yeah, I, I think we're in a really, really good era of star wars storytelling mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean especially with everything that's coming in the next few years yeah so and and i, I mean to to point out and i think angela and i point, made this comment last time was all the shows are all set none of them are set in the sequel trilogy timeline they're all mm-hmm. like post return of the jedi or kind of before so I think I think we're getting that time period between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens finally starting to get fleshed out and, and that story told. And I think that mm-hmm. that's exactly what needs to happen. Back to the Imperial Cruiser, though. Uh, we have the awesome fight scenes that are coming up. And the first one, I think I'm I'm going to kind of turn this over to Angela because I know she has a bunch to say about it. Uh, but we have yeah. uh, go for it, Angela. Oh, OK. <laughs> well, we've got, we we have Casca, Bogatan, Kira and Fennec um, coming in for the diversion. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people said like that they cried um, at the end of this episode with Grogu and uh, Din. But I honestly didn't cry at that moment. I cried at this moment. Um, when these four are coming in and it wasn't, um, a conscious reaction. I realized afterwards, um, after I started that it was the same way that I cried when I saw Wonder Woman in theaters. Um, because, you know, to see these four very capable characters who are females, you know, naturally progressing the story, Um, and doing what needed to be done, you know, there was nothing about it that felt forced. And for me, you know, to know that, um, that I could simply enjoy this moment (laughs) and, (laughs) and that there wasn't going to be any baggage. I didn't have to worry about somebody, you know, saying, oh, they just, you know, shoehorn this in and Mm -hmm. you know they they didn't really belong there they aren't qualified for that they're doing more than they should be able to do you know all the things that i've heard about so many other female characters um in entertainment um it's it's something that you know i can feel very grateful for as a female um 
And, you know, again, that's not just, um, you know, a place of feeling validated because I'm watching this happening on a TV show, but it's, um, I think, you know, to kind of explain it, I know all the women out there understand what I'm saying, but, um, it's very, it's, um, it's a feeling of validation in terms of what women experience on a regular basis, just in Mm -hmm. our lives of hearing, you know, women are not capable of this. Women aren't, you know, up to a certain level. And so hearing that about yourself constantly, um, it just, it, it brings forth this visceral, you know, emotional response, um, when I see something like this. So I know like I, I saw Thomas on the Slack, you know, before the show, he was like, Hey, I didn't even realize it was four female characters. Right. And yeah, that's the either. whole point. I think it's the best part. I think that's the yeah. best part of it. Yeah. It's like, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that it, was, it wasn't like, and I'm going to refer to another franchise here, that scene in Endgame where they have all the female mm-hmm. heroes drop in together. And it's like, yeah. I was going to bring that up too, man. I mean, you know, yeah. It felt so forced. Yeah, it felt like they were trying so hard. With this one, it's like, of course, who else would be there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. These yeah. were the four characters that made the most sense at this point. Why would you have tried to make anybody else there? Right. And, you know, I mean, Star Wars has been on a journey, right? Like, to this point, um, you know, ever since the beginning, you know, obviously Leia was a big deal. Um, but she was still, you know... Not necessarily, I mean, she was the female character pretty much, you know, I mean, we had Mon Mothma, yes, but I mean, when it comes to the leading lady type of, you know, role, that was it. And then we had The Force Awakens and a lot of people have issues with Rey, you know, still Mm -hmm. to this day. And I really can't enjoy the character of Rey, Um, a conversation we had in our Facebook group this week that I just couldn't, you know, end up enjoying her because of all the stuff that people would say about her constantly. So, so, you know, that was a step on the journey. You know, Ray was a step on the journey and now we're here, you know, at at this Mm -hmm. point. So to me, this was a very big deal um, in terms of the whole, you know, history of star Wars and female characters and just, you know, entertainment in general um, that this was, you know, I mean, this is a big show right now. Everybody's talking Mm -hmm. about this in pop culture. Well, and I think what they what they did really well about it was was again that they didn't it they didn't draw attention to it, but it was it was organic. It just was appropriate, and uh, I mean, and that's that's the way to like highlight the the truth about you know the dignity of of both men and women is to I mean to portray it in this way where it's not it's not forced. It's it's feels appropriate and right, and then. And then just kind of let the audience watch it and, and enjoy it mm-hmm. and not specifically try to force you to see it in a certain light. We all saw it the way it was meant to be seen because we've already grown with these characters and we already know these characters and we already trust these characters. Mm-hmm. And there's right. no one else that I would rather trust to go take the bridge than than those four in that sense. Fennec, I sort of suspect her. I mean, I trust her loyalty, but she's still a, <laughs> she's still kind of a wild card for me. But, you know, but that's a whole different that has nothing to do with with uh, her being a, a female. That's just her as a as an assassin, right. right? You know, so yeah, I think that this was this was fantastic and uh, just yeah, very well done. And I mean, they they really succeed in their in their 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 taking over the ship. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's impressive those those fight scenes how they play out. Um, one, but I love the the fact too that none of them are defined solely by their femininity right Mm -hmm. they have Mm -hmm. they have 
all of these other attributes. Like Kara's just snarky. She's got this <laughs> this past from where her, you know, from from having lo- from having lost. She's strong. She's uh, courageous. Uh, you know, Fennec is that assassin that we're still not really sure we trust. But there, there's so many layers of these characters that have nothing to do with with them being female right. it's right. just who they are and, and we see them in that full picture which is they, really great storytelling they are there because we need the character and not the mm-hmm. gender which is which is exactly what they should be doing and we get a, a jammed gun during this, uh-huh. this uh, part <laughs> yes. which is another thing that i mean we haven't quite seen a jammed blaster or gun or whatever to this extent <laughs> You know, I think in Star Wars, it was kind of an ordeal to see. And that was really neat, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, One other thing that I will point out, too, is that when they're on the bridge and and uh, Bo-Katan and Casca jump off and attack all Mm -hmm. the stormtroopers, we see stormtroopers fall through the ray shield and out into outer space. Yep. And that was just uh, that's important because that is exactly how the dark troopers are able to reenter. So it, it made sense for the for the plot and for to understand how the dark, dark troopers are able to, to reinfiltrate the, the cruiser. And it, it, it actually added a bit of kind of uh, uh, tension to the, to the bridge. And why is it? There's never guardrails. Guardrails. Where are the guardrails? (laughs) They're not pretty, I guess. (laughs) They're not aesthetically pleasing. What do you do for somebody who falls off that bridge? Like you can't just man overboard. To. He's just he's supposed gone. to be order, <laughs> right? This is the empire. They uh, sacrificed for the greater good. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So Bo-Katan and her crew uh, take out all the troopers and head up to the bridge. Um, meanwhile, Din is off to head to the brig, and he gets to the bay with the dark troopers. Just about. 10 seconds too late, of course, and mm-hmm. is able to, to lock the door, but one is able to, to get out and he has kind of a one-on-one battle with this dark trooper, which was quite intense and terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I really, Family I was, viewing. <laughs> I was, I was scared for did when that, when that dark trooper kept punching his helmet, like yeah, I was, you could have a concussion or I mean, like, thing. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it not only is Beskar awesome, it's also well padded. <laughs> <laughs> well, and well, it, yeah, because when he takes his helmet off, he's 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 clean. Yep, yep. He, he was looking pretty when he was. Looking, that hel- you know, when, when he, he takes his about. helmet off, you hear the the like. So there's it's pressurized, it's pressurized. right? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, that's partially true, that's true. why he doesn't get a concussion. It's very. I, I, I felt like very Terminator sort of <laughs> moment. Oh, very just, much. Just the you know. Even the I music, the music was uh, yeah. that they oh, chose was, that was, was very yeah. reminiscent of Terminator. Uh, I, think, I think that sounds was obviously and, on purpose. Mm, yeah, but, industrial yeah. <laughs> kind of feel. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, and it just again reiterates just how awesome Beskar is because the helmet isn't dented, the helmet isn't damaged <laughs> in any way, but the bulkhead is what is has the dent of Din's helmet forced into yeah. it. Now I, now I want more stories about Boba Fett because I got to find out what you know. What left those dents in his armor? Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh! I want. Was it the best car spear? Um, mm, could have been. <laughs> well, and even uh, totally random thought, but even yeah, like what's the history of the spear? That would be mm-hmm. that would be a fun story to to mm-hmm. kind of learn at some point in the future. 
If, if it was like robot chicken doing it, it would be like a best car golf ball or something. Yeah. The spear is definitely what saves the day for Din, though, in this particular fight, because he's able to, to use. I mean, he, he uses his whistling birds on it and it kind of slows it down. But he finally uses his spear to um, take out the, the dark trooper by stabbing it in the neck. And then he ejects all the dark troopers into outer space. And <laughs> as we all know that that is not the end of the dark troopers. Right. But you know what? I, I, as I was watching the scene, I was thinking about how, you know, again, we bring up this thing that George Lucas said, you know, Star Wars is like poetry. It rhymes. And I, it just struck me the second time I was watching it, that he is in a Mando suit rescuing a trapped child against a bunch of formidable droids. And that is exactly what <laughs> happened to him when he was a kid, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so we're, we're yeah. seeing the same thing. It all comes full circle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You almost, you almost have gotten to the point where you forget about him hating droids until you get here and you're like, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so he uh, does manage to finally get to the brig and we find that Moff Gideon is there waiting for him. And he's holding his the dark saber over Grogu in a very threatening <laughs> manner. <laughs> Father, did you send the picture, or was it someone else? That, my, my, uh, uh, yeah. Andrew, I oh, think. That was me. Oh, was it Andrew? Okay, <laughs> he must be so, this tall. <laughs> must be this tall to ride. Oh my gosh, yeah. that kind of deflates the <laughs> the menace. Yeah. The, the memes. So on many great memes about internet. this. Yeah. yeah, so many yeah. great memes about this episode, though. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, back to back to Moff Gideon. He, well, and, and he says something um, that I just sort of assume about every villain because he starts to engage in in dialogue and he says, friendly tip, assume that I know everything. <laughs> right. And that is exactly how I approach all villains. Like, it's just, of course, they're going to know everything and they're going to be all powerful until, you know, the twist where they where they fall. But but they've really been. um I guess, hammering away at this at this fact about Moff Gideon in particular, like, oh, he's ex ISB. He has a lot of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then at the very beginning uh, in season one, when we first met him is like, oh, you know, how does he know mm -hmm. who Din is? You know, oh, because he had access to all this information, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I mean, in my mind, you know, it was because of that fact, you know, he mm -hmm. oh, Moff Gideon, he knows a lot. Yeah. And and he's effective as a villain. He is yes. mm, very, very good. Um, and we we have him start to kind of talk about the Darksaber, which adds a little bit of lore to it. Uh, he mm -hmm. he makes the comment. And of course, we kind of if you've seen the Clone Wars and Rebels, you're kind of familiar with a little bit of this. But he makes a comment to Din that Bo-Katan is there seeking the Darksaber and that whoever wields the sword can lay claim to the Mandalorian throne. And of course, Din, all he wants is the kids. So he tells him to keep it and <laughs> Gideon agrees because he says he's already got what he wanted. He got Grogu's blood and basically tells Din to, to take Grogu and leave and never come back. <laughs> when do you trust a, don't trust a villain. Don't trust him. Don't, yeah, don't no turn one, your back on oh him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no one was buying that. Yeah. <laughs> But I but I totally can understand Din's point of view there. I mean, if you are in that kind of a situation and you see the potential to rescue him and then just get out of there, any any sure, father would, yeah. would would just I mean, jump on that if you're if that was your kid out there. 
So I want him out of danger's way. That's that's yeah. it. That's like the only yeah. thing I care about right now is out of danger's way. So I can totally understand why Din is maybe not rationally thinking that, oh, this this isn't probably going to play out the way that it, um, I think it's going to. He was he was acting on that that desperation. And so, of course, that's exactly what happens. He he goes to to get Grogu and Gideon turns the Darksaber on him, which was a cool fight. Uh, again, Beskar. It, 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 you know, stopped the, the dark saber from hurting him. And they, they launch into this, this fight between the two of them. And then I do want, I was wondering though, don't you think Vizsla would have thought about that and designed the one lightsaber that could cut through Beskar? I guess just nothing can do it. It's just not possible. Yeah. I guess not. Yeah. Why You'd would think you he though, done it. if you're a Mandalorian and... You want Mandalore, oh, Mandalores to be united, you know. Oh, I guess yeah, it, it kind of sends yeah. the wrong message. If, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I will cut you down. <laughs> Get, come together, have peace. <laughs> it's, it's, it's mom threatening you at that point, though. You know, yeah. it's like <laughs> I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Gideon and, and uh, Din fight, and Din uses his spear, and Gideon uses the, the Darksaber, and Din manages to, to defeat him and knock the Darksaber out of his hand and succeed in capturing Gideon, which is a very, very crucial point for mm-hmm. moving forward. So they all head to the bridge, Din, Grogu, and Moff Gideon in captivity, and... <laughs> Poor, when poor like Gideon says there, oh, you're going to leave me alive. Interesting. <laughs> like that. Yeah, he said it for us. He's like, like, yeah, yeah he said is... it for us. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and he, oh, he just, he is so full of manipulation and gloating mm-hmm. and uh, he's You know so... who he reminded me of was um, Grima Wormtongue from the, the yeah. Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. um, in the throne room uh, because of, you know, this is, I mean, the bridge is essentially the throne room of a ship, right? Mm-hmm. And you have this situation where exactly what you're saying, Father, like he's very manipulative and he's trying to sort of twist things, mm-hmm. twist words, you know, to kind of almost like troll people, you know, um, to to still have this sense that he has the power that he still is in control and and he's not sort of you know here he is in in cuffs and he has like a bloody lip or something too right um Mm -hmm. because somebody's knocked him down to the ground but he's still trying to act like no i know what's going on here and you don't and uh, you can't have you know you can't have what you want and so i yeah i totally saw grima worm tongue in this um situation yeah it's kind of like any uh, you know, any good villain is like, even when they get caught, it's almost like they want to get caught. And mm-hmm. it's all part of the plan. This yeah, exactly. It's very like the Joker, <laughs> you know, it's like, this is all, all part of the plan, like I said. And, um, and, and, and we knew that, you know, the, the longer they kept him alive, the, the more, you know, he would still have an effect on, on the story going forward. And, uh, and as we see at the very end, you know, they, uh, and like he, like he's, uh, he said in interviews, like, 
you know, it looks like it's it's true that you're not going to find out more about his character until like season three, season four. So it looks like he's going to be a part of the story for for the long haul, mm-hmm. and uh, which I'm happy about. You know, I yeah. think we all are. Yep. Um, yep. Because if he's not going to be the 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 big bad, you know, it looks like they're going to probably set up someone else uh, for the future seasons. Uh, at least he'll have a presence. Yeah, well, and to connect it to even to, to then Catholicism, I mean, he is the 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 Satan character. I mean, because mm-hmm. you know he's the villain, kind of in an obvious sense, but also the way that he's manipulating and trying to play them off each other. And even when it's sort of revealed that the dark saber has to be won in battle, you know, he is trying to play Bo-Katan to to kill Din, and you know, mm-hmm. I mean, so he's constantly just trying to get them to destroy each other. And take their attention off of himself. And of course, he's got that blaster hidden that I mean, so he's he's already got a plan, you know, and he's trying to 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 get them to destroy each other. And I mean, that's that's totally that's uh, demonic, you know, which Mm -hmm. is a that's uh, trying to separate and divide. And that's exactly what he's what he's trying to do here by by trying to play them off of each other. And um well, and then so that's exactly where we where we get some of this the, uh, exposition about the dark saber that it has to be won in combat, and this in order for it to be properly yielded or wielded as the ruler of Mandalore. And I, uh, commentators have been pointing this out, and I kind of wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on it too. But this seems to be, um sort of contrary to what was shown in yep. Rebels. And so that was why I went back and watched The Heroes of Mandalore, where Sabine has the Darksaber. And she had won it, sort of, by defeating Gar Saxon in the Rebels show, even though Maul had been the one in possession of the Darksaber prior to Sabine picking it up. But so Sabine had sort of won it, essentially through defeating Gar Saxon. But at the end of the Heroes of Mandalore episodes, she just hands the Darksaber off to Bo-Katan and Bo-Katan takes it and is able to use it to unite the clans and be the leader. She didn't win it from Sabine in battle. So I, I, I'm not entirely sure how to, and I'm hoping that, that, uh, I mean, I, again, I trust Filoni here. So, I mean, I'm sure that there's there's something here that'll be explained on on how to reconcile that. But the, the well, only we thing I can... Uh, oh, uh, I was just going to say, we still don't know um, how Moff Gideon got it right, uh, right. from her. So uh, maybe, they'll, yeah. Yeah, maybe they'll revisit that. And, and maybe that's part of the part of the story of how we got it back. Maybe he, you know, like, like, he's, like we've been saying, he's such a manipulative person. Maybe he caused tension... You know, amongst the Mandalorians, whether Bogotan was rightfully, you know, supposed to be in control of the, the dark saber, and maybe that came into play with how he ended up getting it. But, um, but yeah, that's that 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 is a good point to bring up, and and because yeah, that's we've never heard this before. That's new information, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. you know, part of me was like, well, you know, it's it's kind of like a it's a it's a close knit group of people. Can't they just make up a story that she just Fine, I yield. I'm pretty. You know, uh, it's like you know, uh, this is something that they they'll a secret that they'll keep because they seem to be you know good friends now. And uh, uh, but but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how mm-hmm. how this all plays out in future seasons. 
Yeah. So I was wondering along the same lines, is it something like if you like if she lost it to Moff Gideon when she had possession of it, you know, like to get it back, you need to win it. back. I don't know, because she didn't. That's not what was said, though. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing that I was just I, I couldn't. I, they were trying to build it up into this really big, serious thing, and it seemed that way at first. But then I was like, well. I mean, like you obviously like, I mean, if that's the rule, the scene that you just did shows that you don't have to kill the person. You just have to defeat right. them. So what's the bit, right. you know, like, like, Hey, they just uh, need to spar. Like, okay. Look, they just need to spar, it's, yeah. It's like the, yeah. It's like at the end, like when the credits rolled, what they did, like, okay, we're going to have a little, you know, a little sparring match on the, you know, like, Oh no, you hurt me. And he drops it, you know? Like, so I, I don't really see how that's going to be a huge thing with, with the rules. They just kind of set up. Well, this obviously brings up the, the potential storyline of, you know, then, you know, maybe wanting to at least ask Bo-Katan, well, what are your plans for Mandalore? Because mm-hmm. now that my mission's done, now Grogu's gone, you know, mm-hmm. where do I go? If I'm going to go be a part of this rebuild of Mandalore, like, what is your philosophy? And if mm-hmm. they don't agree on that, then, then, then might, mm-hmm. you know, not, you know, easily hand it over uh, to Bo-Katan uh, because again, now that, that Grogu's out of the picture for now, um, he has, you know, no reason to be loyal to her, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, now Din's got a, no mission and he's a man that's always had some a mission. Uh, and uh, this this might be a mm-hmm. self-imposed one going forward. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so two. Oh, sorry. I, I, I have a couple of thoughts, but you, you go. Ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I mean, even before he had taken possession of the Darksaber, he had told Bo-Katan that he would he would agree to help her retake Mandalore. So mm-hmm. that was already sort of in motion on the next mission for for Din. So that was all I was going to say. Andrew. True. Yeah. Well, um, as far as the story of, you know, how um, Gideon was saying, you know, you have to win it back. Um the only thing loophole that I could think of is that I was looking at Wikipedia and it mentioned um, when it was summarizing that Rebels episode in particular where Sabine hands it to um, to Bo is that it says in there that with the um, Clan Wren's approval, Sabine hands over the light, the uh, dark saber to Bo. So I was thinking, okay, well, maybe that is the only exception, right? That that whoever is in possession of the dark saber, um, if their whole clan agrees, then they can just hand it over to the next person, mm-hmm. you know. But um, obviously, Din doesn't have a clan, especially now that Grogu's gone. Um, you know, they were. Sub- a clan of two, but I don't know if Bo would even recognize them as a clan, you know, Mm. and how could Grogu give his approval? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, Din is kind of in this position, right? Where, where he has to decide what he's going to do. Cause obviously Bo's just not, not just going to take it from him. So yeah, what I was thinking was the way that this next season could go with this particular storyline is that, um, sure, you know, it could go the way that you were saying, Andrew, where he maybe he decides, hey, maybe this is my new mission in life. Um, but I personally think that, you know, it would take quite a while for him to, you know, it's sort of like, again, back to the Lord of the Rings, it's kind of like Aragorn, you know, where he's like, he's the rightful king, but he doesn't want to 
get into that whole position and, and everything that in, is entailed with it. So um, I was thinking that possibly, you know, that could be the direction of the next season where he has these different experiences to where he realizes that he actually will accept that. And then mm-hmm. there's some kind of um, conflict between the two of them. And then maybe that's where we see the end of Bo-Katan. I don't know. Um, but uh, I was thinking about the foundling situation, mm-hmm. right? Because we have, um, you know, Django being a foundling and then Din was a foundling and Din had Grogu, who was a foundling, and he was part of the Children of the Watch. So I was thinking, if he does, you know, come to this sense of he wants to help reestablish Mandalore, that maybe he decides to um, put an emphasis on the foundling culture mm-hmm. or his particular culture. The other possibility, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, is that. I think he might just, you know, we've we've seen this whole character development with Din to where he has been learning that maybe the external dogmas and rituals and all kinds of things, you know, aren't all that important. So maybe the next season he actually tries to pass that along to Bo and says like, hey, you Mm -hmm. know, you were telling me that I'm in a cult. Well, yes, (laughs) let me tell you that (laughs) this is stupid and you need to take this. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's what I felt really strongly watching it too and i'm glad you brought it up because um you know this is it's very ironic that she has a legend that is out of her control here and she had just been telling him yeah you don't have to wear your mask all the time that's that's ridiculous that's like a you know that's an extremist thing you don't have to do that (laughs) so it's i I love the juxtaposition there that 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 um you know that literary uh irony that we have of knowing the two of them and where they've been and and what it means for him to now have this moment of uh, of cultural significance that he doesn't care for. It doesn't matter to him. Like he's not looking to become the next, you know, leader of Mandalore. But to her, the trappings of that legend do matter. And now he gets to work, you know, work the reverse of what he was learned what he learned from her earlier. I would also just want to throw out there that if we are talking about clans, um, the armorer is still out there and I would, mm, I would loop true. her into the clan of, of Din, even if the rest of that sure, the yeah. children of the watcher are gone. So perhaps we'll see the armorer make an appearance next season too. So, yeah. um, the other, um, fandom connection that I did want to make here was, um, I'm sure we have Harry Potter fans out there. This mm-hmm. was totally the elder wand situation. The elder too. Wand. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, uh, a one that can only be one in battle and, and that's, uh, what they're setting up with the dark saber. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there too, to, to make that connection. Um, at this point in the episode, of course, before they can even deal with any of this that we're talking about, which is going to be saved for next season, uh, the dark troopers re-enter the cruiser and that adds the, the tension to the climactic conclusion of this episode. So, all the the dark troopers march on the bridge and you hear that um sort of like robofied version of the imperial march that's mm-hmm. kind of what i picked up like those mm-hmm. three or four notes from the imperial march that are sort of like you know the characteristic motif 
Mm-hmm. The, I think Ludwig Göransson sort of like electronified that, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and it sounds very uh, menacing, but at the same time, it sounds perfect for mm-hmm. for them. And I know we keep saying it over and over again, but his music is phenomenal. It's so just, good, just so good. It really perfect. is perfect. Um, so the the dark troopers approach the bridge. They start ramming at the bridge doors, and when all hope almost is lost. One little X-wing flies X-wing. by. <laughs> oh, one X-wing. Yep. We're saved. <laughs> well, so so at this point, did you guys expect it to be Luke? I I, I did. I did. Didn't. Okay. I sure that had, that's who it had yeah. to be. Yeah. I guessed it was possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With X-wing, I was in denial. It what was sealed. It was was the glove, and yeah. obviously the green saber. But <laughs> I was like, oh, even I- when I. Even when I saw the X-wing and I was like, "Oh, they're doing this!" Like, I, like I'm, I'm moving forward. Yeah. I still, I still never. I mean, just as it unfolded, I, I did not until it was all done. I'm, I'm still, and I've, I've watched it now. I'm sure like 50 times. I'm just like that. They, they did, they did that. <laughs> they actually. That is so far. What it, you know? Yeah. Honestly, but, yeah. Up until up until the reveal, I was thinking, "Is this?" Ezra is it because I honestly felt like it was way more probable that they would have an actor that we'd never seen before playing a character that we'd never seen in live action before Mm -hmm. um, rather than having it be Luke Skywalker so I was just like out loud I was like oh my gosh is it and then my husband was like shh I don't know anything (laughs) there was there were so many guesses we were like green lightsaber oh glove on the hand oh black (laughs) and the fighting style too yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. My my first thought was uh, with the X wing. I thought we've seen the New Republic. Um, I mean, uh, they're oh, and I'm blanking on his name. The one who gave Kara her a New Republic commission. Blue. So, um, yeah. So so I mean, we've seen them often enough in the season. I thought maybe maybe this is them. And again, Andrew, <laughs> I think I was in I your boat. Names. Like yeah. yeah, I was I was really I was hoping it was Ezra. And then the green lightsaber, I was like, well, Ezra had a green lightsaber, so this is mm-hmm. still this mm-hmm. is still okay. And yeah. when I when I saw the gloved hand, I was like, Oh, yeah, this is yeah. this is Luke. Well, and it was such a thing like with the him and the cloak, I mean it's it's a total callback to his entrance, you mm-hmm. know, in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're seeing a lot of people online basically freaking out, like, This is the sequel to Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi I've wanted for thirty <laughs> you know, years. It's like I know how you feel. <laughs> it's just, you know, and after all the EU stuff and the yep. video games and everything, and now mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if this is all you ever get, because I, I don't, and I haven't heard anyone even speculate this. I, I, I don't anticipate in any way, shape or form, you know, the adventures of Luke Skywalker <laughs> with an AI face. No, like, they're no, not going to do that. No, that right, would, no, you know, no. But, but the idea of you, you get to see him in his prime. Yeah. And yes. boy, yeah. is he like his dad. I, yeah. I've, I would, and that was the coolest. <laughs> I've been telling uh, friends of mine as we've been talking about this. I, I said that this is the Luke Skywalker that we all wanted to see after Return of <laughs> yes. the Jedi. When yeah. we found him in the Last <laughs> Jedi, it was like it was wait, too much no. of a jump. What? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. my my wife's my wife's running gag is that she she never really liked Star Wars because of whiny Luke, and then when the, when the new new season or the, the new uh, series came out, it was still whiny Luke. It was yeah. just whiny Luke, you know, fifty years later. So we never got to see cool Luke like, yeah. after, he get, after he drops the whiny bit. Yeah. It's like it's like he's in his sixties sitting on a rock on some planet, still mad that he never got his power converter exactly. from the Tashi station. <laughs> you know, 
Like, well, just, at least it's consistent, right? Yeah. Like, oh, dude. Well, yeah, it's, it's, those up. it's it's like it's like yeah. I know uh, this is obviously being compared, and someone in the Slack sent the the video with the side by side comparison of the Darth Vader yeah. Rogue mm-hmm. One scene. Mm-hmm. That and was so cool. It's like yeah, it's that. Yes, this is again, it's fan service, but like it's the fan service we all, we've always wanted, and you know mm-hmm. we've never seen Darth Vader like you know, do that in live action. And then we got to see in Rogue mm-hmm. One and we've never seen Luke Skywalker do that in live action. And we finally got to see it. But even that it's, it's interesting that the, the parallel and the, the difference between, so, so the Rogue One yeah. at the end of Rogue One, where Darth Vader is, is um, taking out all the rebels in that hallway. We then have the parallel with Luke, but actually, I mean, he's on the good side. He's actually not killing anyone. He's killing droids, which is, which is, you know, property destruction. (laughs) (laughs) He's not, he's not taking life. Right. Yeah. Uh, You know, so, I mean, so you've, you've got the, 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 the two sides of the coin there of, of, you know, Luke and, and Darth Vader and, you know, both, both scenes are just, yeah. Like Darth Vader in his prime as Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker in his prime as a Jedi master, which is, is just, awesome to see and yeah that's the luke that i really want to get to know a little bit more and it wasn't it wasn't like stroke for stroke exactly the same it was so clearly Mm -hmm. done to parallel Mm -hmm. and even to have the build-up at the end like right you know when vader kind of holds that one dude for a bit and throws him and then to have luke hold the thing and just crush it like a you know aluminum can like that was just so so cool yeah and then in the midst in the midst of that I don't know. Have we ever gotten this sense that like, I guess we have, but it's just so impressive to see that once Luke is on board, then all of the dark troopers are turning towards him, almost like Mm -hmm. they sense that there's this Mm -hmm. menace that is on board that is so (laughs) powerful that they all have to go that way, you know, and it's like, but they're droids, you know, so how do they, how does this, how does the force work with you know and we've got we've gotten into all those discussions (laughs) you know in the past too like how do droids know the force but um but then too like we also see grogu you know Mm -hmm. recognizing Mm -hmm. that that was so so fun yeah it's (laughs) so neat the ear work you know he just he's like yeah yeah it's like that's that guy that i sent that space message to (laughs) no it's like whatever that he's like Oh, and then he reaches out and looks up at Din. Doesn't oh, gosh, he? Like, yeah. He, oh, that's yeah. The, yeah, the little yeah. hand on the screen. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> my wife lost it there too. Like, it was like he's like oh, this guy. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then, and then of course that's all setting up the the final goodbye with Din. I guess if yeah. you want to call it that, which was very very emotional. They'll see each other again. Yeah. You well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it I was, think. it was yeah. so, uh, it was just so cool. I mean, cause, cause Din has finally, yeah, accomplished his mission. Here's a Jedi who's willing to take Grogu and train him. Grogu wants Din's permission before he goes first, which mm-hmm. was, so, yeah, yeah. Kind of pulls at your heartstrings there. And, um, yeah, I I related to it in this way, and I and I I I think I'm valid in this kind of um, relation. I felt it almost like when I went off to seminary, like I had to say goodbye to my parents, and I had to say goodbye to Wyoming, and I went 13 hours away to go to a Benedictine monastery where I studied philosophy, and so like it was basically like I'm saying goodbye to you for until Thanksgiving, really, and you know the the major holidays. 
but it wasn't just like oh, I'm two hours away. I can drive home on a, on the weekend, you know. So there was a, mm -hmm. a similar, at least in my experience of of at least kind of looking at it through Grogu's eyes of of like having to say goodbye. But yeah, knowing that that I'm I'm not gonna. It's not a forever goodbye. So you're saying we're waiting for the next life day. That's what we're. That's what we're. That's what we're, we're holding Luke, out Luke for is going to let Grogu go home on life day. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> Uh, did you guys think of uh, about um Anakin when when he was leaving his mother? Did you guys mm -hmm. think about that when you were watching so, this cuz I did. So I had a big flood of of feeling about this and I will say I liked it but I didn't at the same time. Um I really liked the reveal. I thought it was really cool. I thought it, I thought it fits. It's really the only mm -hmm. thing that fit the story and the and the timeline of where we are. Because I was, I was kind of worried about the Ezra thing. I wasn't really yep. mm -hmm. uh, jiving with Ezra. Because Ezra needs his own tale and not to just kind of be splotched onto this one. As cool as it would be. Uh, that So Luke was the right fit. But at the same time, going back to Filoni's whole father shtick, right? His, his whole thing about being whether or not there's a good father and they had a good father figure and all this kind of stuff. We finally have the first good father figure in Star Wars lore. And it's being split up by Luke, who we find out later is not a good yeah. father figure, you know? So I was really torn about how to feel about Grogu going with Luke at the end of this episode. Yeah. And, you know, for me, that that was, you know, part of my, you know, like me not wanting it to be Luke, you know, before uh, it, it was... It was like, oh well, we know ultimately what happens with Luke, and it has it hadn't been that long since we've seen Luke. It's not like, oh, this is a character we haven't seen in thirty years. Like we just saw him, and mm -hmm. we just saw him last year, uh, and a good amount of him, and and we saw his his story, you know, close. Uh, uh, and and I, I think that um, you know the like you said, what what did it for me was it made sense. Like you mentioned, I'll, I'll agree with that. And, and also the, the, the whole scene, you know, seeing Luke in his prime, like we talked about was just something we needed as Star Wars fans. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I think ultimately, you know, like I said, I changed my tune. I'm happy it was Luke and, and they, I think they, they nailed it, but I think for it to truly pay off is, is how it all plays out. Like, obviously yeah. we, I, we all agree that I don't think Grogu is going to be there when, when Ben, you know, massacres the the Jedi Academy, um, I, I, and and I, and and to your point, I don't think Luke will ultimately be his father figure going forward. Right. Maybe for a time, but I think he'll, you know, whether he goes back to Din or, you know, maybe he finds his. We find out more about his species because that was something they were harping on mm -hmm. in season one, especially is like we don't really know much about this species, you know, where and. Are there more of them and where are they at? So, yeah, we don't know. It can go a number of different ways. I think I think ultimately we'll look back at this season finale, uh, you know, whenever Mandalorian, uh, you know, finishes its run or or maybe it's a couple seasons from now and be like, wow, that really was the best decision. The best or maybe decision. we'll look back and be like, oh, well, you know, we, talk, we always talk about like we want Star Wars to expand their universe, you know, and bringing it back to Luke kind of closes it back in. You know, but yeah. like at the same time, you know, I think that's why, you know, like, like father, I wanted it to be Ezra, you know, I was like, like, yeah, I, I know it's, it's characters we've seen, 
but like we've only seen an animated series, you know, we, mm-hmm. we want to see these series like, like Ahsoka and Bo-Katan. We want to see them in live action, but, um, but yeah, it, it, you know, again, it made the most sense for it to be Luke, like you said, for, with where, where we are in the, in the story. And, uh, and like that scene will was burned in our memories now of, of how, you know, yeah. Luke just going through those dark troopers and, and mm-hmm. we'll be playing that, you know, a million times over. But yeah, I think, uh, uh, since the story's not over, you know, we can, we can revisit this and, and, and really have a, a final opinion on, yeah. on how, how it really went. Yeah. And maybe the way to, maybe the way to look at it is not that Luke is supposed to be the father figure for Grogu, but that Luke is meant to be the teacher. Mm-hmm. And Din is the father figure and will remain yes. to be the father figure for Grogu. Yeah, and like he said, you know, he he he'll never be safe until he controls his abilities. Right. Um, which that's his function. And it's it's interesting because I, I I just a couple quick things to add that um you know, I think the and I heard some people talking about this, you know, on online and, and stuff too, but the um there's a practical side to it because they've definitely set themselves up for a pretty intense, you know, operation here to potentially liberate Mandalore. You've got you got to find out the deeper currents here of what's going on with all this experimentation. And it's a little tricky when every time you ever go anywhere, you have to find an excuse of where to put Grogu. Right. Like he, he has to go to school with cookies or he has to go like <laughs> he's got baby know, fitter, be, babysitters all over the galaxy. Like with the frog people. Yeah. I mean, I, there's lots of people that want to have him, but, you know, like that's cute. But I think, you know, you kind yeah. of run out of steam on that. So it, it's good. And even, as you know, we said last I know you guys said last week that it was very interesting that the first episode, like they were testing the waters, obviously with the idea of like, let's have an episode without him in it at all. Mm-hmm. And it was right. a great episode. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, you know, I mean, I, I miss him whenever I don't see him, but it's like, it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's technically not his show, you yeah. know? Um, so I think there's, yeah. right. I think, I think there's that. I think the, the romantic sap in me wants the whole thing to end <laughs> one day with Mando and, um, and Grogu going back to uh, the sanctuary planet and he marries Omera and they just settle down and they finally get to do that because he's finally free. I like that. Um, But then uh, I think like what I was saying earlier too, you know, I I'm honestly, I'm not worried at all. Like if they had somehow established in any way, shape or form in the sequel trilogy, you know, that these are all the students who were killed and you see a little green Yoda type (laughs) guy there, you know, but, but like they, they've done nothing to lock themselves into that. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to do that. You know, I I really don't think they'll do that at all. Um, And then especially with the genius thing of not just having it be any alien species that happens to be a super long living one, but to specifically have it be the Yoda species, Mm -hmm. which is completely surrounded in mystery that you, and, and with what they're doing with high Republic and what they could potentially do with, you know, like the future, you know, hundreds of years after Ray, you know, however mm-hmm. you want to do it. And now he's a mature Jedi, mm-hmm. you know, yep. that maybe she encountered at some point. Because that's the thing is even, you know, you know, at the end of Rise of Skywalker, how old is, is Grogu species compared? Was he 18? about Ray's age right at that point like they could you know, basically be contemporaries for most of her life even till she dies and then he's still you know yeah. so he, he I really think he's the key character here mm-hmm. um, and which brings me to my last thing because this might be something father was going to bring up so it might be a, I don't know a good segue but of course we get 
the the visitor who really seems to make him finally be ready to leave the room mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm really what I don't want to read too much. into. I know a lot of people are talking about this. They've at least, I think made it a very possible interpretation that they recognize each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which would be cool. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is clear that, that Grogu is not quite willing to leave Din until R2-D2 shows up. And right. They, I mean, and and it is pretty obvious that R2-D2 is excited and yeah, Grogu right. has kind of the reaction as well. And I don't, I don't think it's just like, oh, he thinks he's cute. Yeah. Like everyone else thinks he's cute. It seems like <laughs> this guy, this one. You know? yeah. So, and, and there is enough mystery about where precisely R2 was during the whole purge mm-hmm. of the temple, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like was the bad batch there? Like all those kinds of things. Grogu you know? could have been rescued you know, bef- well, before the purge in the temple, too. Right, so, or not there. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we need to talk about is the the fact that Din removes his helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this was, this was the first time that he's removed his helmet without being in a position that forced him to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, for the largest number of people. Right. Who, well, who and, and, personally. And, and I mean, and, and he he had no qualms about doing it. You know, his, the, right. the creed, the, you know, have you ever removed your helmet? Well, he, if the armor asked him that question again, he's kind of, you know, up a Creek, but you know, but, but, but I have it, the black saber. I made, I made a huge mistake on like the third or fourth time I was watching that scene. I happened to be holding my six month old daughter. No. That wasn't smart. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to give you a complete bumbling nightmare of a person. So it was, I <laughs> just, I loved the, the character growth that we see because, mm. you know, as we've been talking about, Din's character and the, you know, the removal of the armor, both figuratively and, and, and literally, you know, this is, this is the point where he finally becomes like the most vulnerable he can be to, for, for Grogu, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as the, the father figure and wants to connect with him on, on that level without, without the armor in the way. Um, and so he, I mean, it's that he, yeah, he unveils himself to Grogu and lets, lets himself be known in in a way that he's not let anybody know him before which i thought was was really cool when he watches grogu go off with with luke he still has his helmet off and mm-hmm. you know he's got those tears in his eyes and that's how the season ends you know that's how we leave din which is remarkable considering where we met him in season 1 right yeah and Bo-Katan is there, Moff Gideon is there, uh, Fennec, Kara, and Casca are all there. So Bill, Bill Burr is not the only one who's seen uh, Pedro Pascal's <laughs> face underneath the helmet. Um, so yeah, so I, I thought that that was just absolutely essential in his character arc. And big up to Pedro Pascal. I mean, again, like, yeah. like the episode before, he, he can do so much with his face. And, and obviously the the effect of like not seeing his face, you know, much throughout the series, you know, you really focus in on on his Mm -hmm. face, like more than any other character, obviously it's like, Oh my gosh, what, 
you know, every little twitch, every little, th- you know, th- it's, it's, it's really impressive. And, uh, I have to say his face is so bothersome being as asymmetrical as it is after you've been yeah. watching him in the helmet. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Cause his face is just not, there's, there's no symmetry to that man's yeah. face. It is crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's got some features. Yeah. That stand oh, out yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I think again, that was a very wise casting choice, uh, mm-hmm. again. Um, and, it, and it's, it, it really shined these past two episodes. Um, well then that's, that's it for the, the episode. Um, credits roll really, yeah. and, and yeah, you know, <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> but being a Disney, um, property now, and now, now with Star Wars, just like Marvel, I am going to have to watch the credits on everything. Yeah. You should have been watching them this whole time because the, the concept the, art yes, is great, yes, man. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. Such no, good definitely. concept art. Yes. Um, so, of they course. put any concept art in these credits, I know, so I was about yeah. ready to skip. <laughs> no, when they, yeah, yep. when, when they didn't put concept art, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, all right, here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, post-credit scene of Boba Fett and Fennec going back to Jabba's palace. And it kind of echoed the, the scene when Leia heads into the Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. But, you know, Fennec walks in and shoots out everybody except for the, except for the slave, frees the slave. And then Boba and Bib Fortuna have, have a talk. And Bib has um, been very well fed. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's your living up to the mantle. Yeah. I was, was going to say yeah. he's got some big shoes to fill, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's Matt. It's Matt Wood. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Which was yeah, pretty cool. Because um, I think I, I think I heard. Didn't he play him in uh, episode one? Yes. And he smacks Jabba to wake him up. So there's some yep. continuity. But yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. So head of head of uh, Skywalker sound for a while now, Matthew Wood. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I could recognize his voice. Um, when I paid attention to the credits the second time, I was like, oh yeah, that is Matt Wood. Cause when I was looking at his face, um, but uh, yeah, the McClunky, um, I don't <laughs> yeah. think we've ever explained McClunky. So for the people who are not in the know, um, so McClunky was, <laughs> McClunky was, the first, what, um, oh my gosh, now my, now my mind is going blank now that I want to actually explain something. <laughs> it's Greedo. Um, Greedo says it. Yes, thank you. Greedo <laughs> says it before he gets shot, right? And so it's great that, you know, you see Bib Fortuna and then you hear him say McClunky. He's like, well, he's a goner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boba Fett just doesn't even waste any time and engage him in conversation it's just he he shoots him and by the way when when you when when you google it the meaning of it uh the best uh well people pointing out on twitter that it's hutties that can roughly be translated this will be the end of you <laughs> so so i guess i shouldn't say that at the beginning when i'm being welcomed onto a onto a podcast well we can always yeah. you know we can we can shoot you with a with a camera. Yeah, you know, yeah. There, there's there's other ways to do this. Oh my goodness! Well, I, my favorite part of this scene is when he sits down in the throne and um and uh, Fennec sits down beside him. It looks straight out of a comic book. First off, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, just totally. shoots straight back to the Conan the Barbarian series. You know, yes. where he's gotten sitting on the throne, <laughs> just running his kingdom. <laughs> And it's we didn't awesome. know that whole time in front of the Jedi that right behind that throne is some spotchka because yeah. it's everywhere. Yes. Yeah. 
the I was gonna say the music again. It's um, it's kind of like a pirate, but yeah. in the desert, like sort of the Arabian influence mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it kind of reminded me of the music when we saw when we had the first pirate theme right in the show a few episodes ago right and and but it was like it had that desert influence and it was really strong and driving and very like okay boba has taken over tatooine mm-hmm. you know and the and the underworld so that was super neat mm-hmm. yeah what a what a i think a great concept for a boba show was like just him running this crime syndicate <laughs> and you know, it's 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 really exciting. Like, obviously, didn't see it coming, and obviously, the show wasn't announced uh, mm-hmm. during the Disney thing. And, Such a great move, yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> obviously, yeah, to keep the surprise. Uh, but that was, I think, this is this this show has a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Well, my question is, who's reading the book of Boba Fett? Does this become like a religion? You know, like a hundred <laughs> years in the future, they're like a reading. It's that Conan thing, like, right? It's that Conan yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me the, tell the, you a thought. tale. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. sort of like the tales of um or which call it. It's like the Arabian Nights thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. yep. like Ali every Baba. every night there's a different story, <laughs> so it's sort of yeah. like that. Yeah. And even with the with this um with this show, we've gotten chapters, right? So right. it's almost like yeah. the book of the Mandalorian yeah, or Din Djarin yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so to, to clarify for our listeners, um, the, the book of Boba Fett was announced at the end of this episode coming December of 2021. So pretty much a year from now, which is great. Uh, there's been a bit of confusion though, because Mandalorian season three is also dropping December of 2021. So there was a lot of speculation that the book of Boba Fett was actually like a subtitle for Mandalorian season three, but, um, Disney has not come out to clarify anything officially yet, but there was a former, um, I forget former employee of Lucasfilm that came out and said that they're two different shows. Which, right, yeah. Um, I mean that that I I think that that's exactly the way to look at it. There was all the rumors of of a Boba Fett miniseries being uh, filmed already, and so I think that this is very clearly that miniseries, which is separate from the Mandalorian season three and all the other shows. They're making our job so hard. <laughs> Just cramming them all together. You spread them out a little more, Disney. I know. Come what on. are we you know? going to do next year when <laughs> that both is... shows are happening at the well, same time? Well, one possibility, uh, possibility. I mean, if it is, if it is like a a, a mini series, then they might just. I mean, th- this would be the first time. I think not that there's a lot of precedence for Disney Plus. They haven't been around that that long, but they might just drop all the episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. If it's a, maybe it's like a. We don't know because we don't know the length. It could be just like right. a four parter. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like a movie, but they kind of split it up sort mm-hmm. of thing. Because I really doubt that I wouldn't put it past Disney, but I, I doubt that they would just have it go week to week along with Mandalorian. Unless there is a lot of interweaving between, mm. you know, Boba's show and that. But I would guess the interweaving would, would be, as Disney's already announced, would be more between Ahsoka and mm-hmm. um, uh, what's the other show? Uh, Rangers of the New Republic. Rangers, yeah. Yeah, they've already established and and said that there would be connecting storylines there, but... Mm Yeah, but yeah, who knows? I'm I'm super excited about because I've been a fan of um, Arrow and The Flash and Supergirl and those those Mm -hmm. shows, 
and crossover they, events. Well, yeah. but they've done the same thing, but even had characters from one show pop up in, in the other show for random right. single episodes and then re- uh, reference it in the other episodes. So yeah. to have the shows connect like that, it it takes a little bit more effort for the casual viewer to try to make sure that you're watching them in order, you know, and everything. But if, but if you're just watching them as they drop, it'll it'll they'll all connect. But, you know, if you're watching them a year later, you kind of got to remember that they they'll cross over and 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 it's just a whole lot of fun. And and of course, it's very it's very Marvel, too, with how they've done the, the movies mm-hmm. and had them all combine for the Avengers and. And I think it's a good strategy. I, I mean, I think yeah. that, that, that's yeah. uh, very much why I loved the the books growing up was you got to see all your characters, your favorite characters interact in ways and go off on missions and come back. And so this is kind of the same concept just done in, in TV show format. And I sort of expect Boba, the book of Boba Fett will be its own sort of independent sort of thing, whereas I suspect Ahsoka, Rangers of the New Republic and Mandalorian will be the the ones that tie yeah. together more clearly, but yeah, but we'll see. We've got kind of a year to wait for that. Well, you got that criminal syndicate element versus the Rangers of the new Republic, which is you know, <sighs> we're seeing more, more yeah. of the law side of things. And I'll tell <laughs> right. you any show that gives me more Cara Dune, That's, that's what I want. <laughs> I want more Cara Dune. <laughs> like all Cara Dune all the time. I'm good. Cause she is amazing. She's my favorite, favorite character <laughs> this season by far just for that one line at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, I think I think this is giving. I mean, especially us diehard fans. I mean, this is giving us what what we've been wanting. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think with the Ahsoka show, hopefully we get we get Thrawn and some closure on what happened to Ezra and what uh, um, where Sabine is. Even mm-hmm. if they don't show up, maybe live in person. But I mean, I think those storylines that we've been wanting to see the results of, I think we're finally gonna gonna head in those directions. And I want to see what happens to Mandalore and Bo-Katan. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think we will. <laughs> but it's unfortunately, we have, a, we have another yeah. year to wait now. This is, yeah, always, yeah. this is always the problem with season finales. But good on, good on the Mandalorian to, you know, their production, uh, you know, unlike a lot of productions during the pandemic, you know, was, was able to mm-hmm. get the show done on time. And, uh, and... And I think, yeah, the nature, like we've talked about before of the, of, you know, how, how they produce a show with the volume, yep. uh, allows them to, to really not skip a beat, uh, during this, mm-hmm. uh, this whole, uh, this whole mess that we're in. But, um, and so yeah, are. at least, uh, you know, there are, cause yeah, I know there, there are a lot of shows that, you know, that, that some people have to wait two years mm-hmm. to see. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we can be thankful that. You know, they're telling us it's going to be December 2021, and it, I think they're going to stick to it, you know. Yeah. Because um, how many times has, like, Wonder Woman been pushed back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, right. know, that, right. at least, you know, we're it looks doing, like you know, obviously we're finally getting it. But, <sighs> yep. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, good on good on Disney. Uh, one other thing that, that we didn't get to that I wanted to um, was um, I felt, and I, I, I think you guys agree that the luke's face looked a heck of a lot better than oh, the yeah. technology used right. in rogue one so i know thomas has some insights yes. to share there on how they they did that so yeah so this is this is um it's using deep fakes i don't like to call them deep fakes i like i like to call them ai assembled faces because uh basically what it is is they take a machine learning algorithm and they grab uh pictures of someone at in this case at a certain age 
and they can map that to a live actor's face. So they, they take the live actor the same way they would map it, map a um, computer generated face to the live actor's face like they did in Rogue One with um, uh, with Tarkin uh, and with Leia as well. Uh, they can map the images of that other person's face using machine learning uh, and the machine learning can kind of manipulate the face to fit the right angle of of where the person's uh, face is. So it just kind of maps the face on top. The, the old face just gets mapped onto this new actor. And it looks so much better than this, the, the CGI. Uh, CGI just isn't there. It's not, it's not to the point where it can cross that... Um, that uncanny valley that makes us realize that it's not a person and get uncomfortable watching it. And if if you want to see the the real effect, there is a guy on YouTube. I can't remember his, um, his the the YouTube channel right now, but he's done a side by side comparison of running a deep fake on Tarkin from uh, Rogue One and Leia from Rogue One, and and done the two scenes side by side with his deep fake and the CGI version as it appeared in in cinemas, and it is. It, it's great. I mean, it really is. It shows you the power of this uh, technology to kind of make it feel more natural having that um, having that face in a place it's not supposed to be. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't advocate using it very often <laughs> because yeah. Yeah, you know right. I, I, it will get old very fast. But in a situation like this, where there's a particular moment in time that you want to kind of recreate and bring back, it definitely comes out better than that just cgi plant right on top of it and if you look at the actor who played the body devil max lloyd jones he, he has a similar facial structure as mm -hmm. mark hamill did um back then um i just wanted to give a shout out to him too because uh he apparently he played um blue eyes in war for the planet of the apes mm. um that was the oldest son of caesar the main ape in the in the movie um so obviously he has some experience with um you know motion capture or what have you um so yeah i think i think he did a great job for for what he was called in to do and mm -hmm. uh shout out to mm -hmm. him and all the best mm -hmm. to him yeah, it must be really exciting <laughs> yeah. to be the guy who Got to be is Luke. the body yes. devil for Mark, <laughs> young Mark Hamill. Yeah, well, and I think that this is exactly why we. I don't suspect we'll see Luke very much at all in season three. Mm -hmm. um, I think we might get a cameo, maybe. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's going to be the same for Grogu, but we'll see. Um, the other thing that I did want to point out was that that was Mark Hamill's voice. So he right. got to do the voice of his younger self, which is really cool. So this is not a, you know, Mark Hamill's dead and we're just recreating him. But he got to he got to do the voice of his own character. And uh, that's pretty cool. And the fact that this was this did keep this was kept a secret. This did not leak. Right. That was yeah. impressive. They're doing such a great job with that, aren't so they? Good. Yeah. So this awesome. cast and crew is amazing. The the things that have leaked, um, you know, with you know, we kind of expected Ahsoka and everything. Uh, the the huge reveal was was still kept kept guarded, which was which was great. Anything else that uh, we need to discuss for <laughs> for this epic finale? I don't think so. I think there were so many little things here and there that i mean you could talk about i know there's a lot of videos and articles out there with all kinds of little easter eggs and callbacks and different mm -hmm. things and <clears throat> i just think um 
you know, ultimately what is what was cool about this episode was um, just seeing that poetry, you know, again, mm-hmm. with with this the cyclical element, you know, even like Luke, Luke was trained by Yoda and now Luke is tra- training Grogu like it's mm-hmm, yeah. there's so much of that um, and, and so much character development that we saw. Um, so, yeah, I think. I don't have anything else to to add in particular, but this was definitely a rich episode for sure that we'll continue to talk about for a long time. Absolutely. Um, before we wrap up, uh, just a reminder to our listeners that we are doing a raffle and um, we are giving away an Art of the Mandalorian Season 1 book. And so this is, all you have to do is email us at starwarsbook at sqpn.com so that's star wars book and book is singular at sqpn.com and include your name and the phrase this is the way and you'll be entered into that raffle and we will be drawing that later on in january and we will let you know if you won the book and how to ship it out to you as kind of a, a christmas present to you so be sure to be sure to do that Before we wrap up uh, the episode this evening, uh, I wanted to take a few moments and share some thoughts from an Australian perspective. Lindsay Sand and Caroline Knight have both uh, recorded some of their own thoughts on this particular finale episode of The Mandalorian. So I wanted to share that with all of you listeners. So give that a listen right now. Hello, Father Andrew and the Secrets of Star Wars team. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to share some thoughts on this awesome last episode of The Mandalorian for Season 2. So, my name is Lindsay Sands. And I'm Caroline Knight. And we're part of the team that forms the Catholics of Oz podcast on the StarQuest Network. Now, we haven't got Lino here with us because he hasn't seen The Mandalorian yet. He's a bit behind. So, we are, we've actually hooked him up with a Disney Plus account so that he hurries up because <laughs> we can't, there's no way he's going to be able to go on the internet and avoid spoilers for what's about to, what he's about to discover. So, um, we just wanted to share some, some quick thoughts from our little Aussie perspective on, um, on this awesome episode. So, let's dive straight into it. Caroline, what did you think overall of this episode? Oh, where do I start? It kind of just blew my mind. There was action everywhere, surprises everywhere, a lot of cuteness from Grogu as usual, and uh, it was just the <laughs> kind of the perfect episode. I just loved it. It really was, and I'm I'm surprised because uh, I keep saying episode after episode, man, that was the best uh-huh. episode of the season so far. It just gets better and better. Uh-huh. Um, I think uh, we're we're not going to do a deep dive in this whole episode because we'll let the the experts at the secrets of Star Wars do that. Um, but what we'll do is uh, we'll talk about maybe the most amazing moment of the whole episode. What happened in your house as you were watching the entrance of Luke Skywalker? Oh, my goodness. So I was sitting with the kids and we were watching. And um, so, yeah, the part where the X-Wing comes in to the ship, I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's an X-Wing. <laughs> there must be more following. No more came. It was just one. <laughs> Jedi popped out. He started slashing down the dark troopers. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, who could it be? Who could it be? Obi-Wan, Kenobi? I don't know. And then, and then we find the reveal. It's Luke Skywalker. And I just lost it. I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was really, really cool. Yeah. There must have been like people all over the world that just yeah. went, Dank Farrick, that actually yeah. happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which, by the way, is an awesome, it's just a new phrase. I hope that's not a curse word because it's awesome. <laughs> just bleep yeah. it out. 
Yeah, bleep it out. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I agree. Like I was, uh, I was holding my, I was sitting with my eleven-year-old Damien on the couch. <laughs> and we were watching it, and uh, yeah, I, because this whole scene is tense, isn't it? There's all these tensions. Like mm. you know, the dark troopers are back. It's like all right, they're in trouble, and you know that there's going to be some kind of a rescue because this way that they've been doing it in some episodes. It's like how's it going to happen? And yeah, and there were all these like clues. It's like there's an X-wing. Like, yeah. All right, but then there's you know. I started thinking, could it be? Like, who else flies yeah, next week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, then there's a green lightsaber. There's a robotic hand. Then there's the corridor scene. Oh, my gosh. Uh, which is the same as Darth Vader's, you know, yeah. fight scene in Rogue One. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, like you said, when he reveals the uh, when he reveals his face, it's Luke Skywalker. Like, yeah. oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah there's, like, lots of screaming. Yes. The, the, um, the decibel count around the world must have been massive. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. From space. It would have been. Yeah. Uh, it was brilliant. Um, yeah, just a couple of uh, quick observations and just chime in with any of these. So the Dark Troopers, now obviously a lot of Star Wars fans who played um, Star Wars Dark Forces, it was, a, it was a game that was a lot like the original Doom. One thing that was revolutionary, revolutionary about Dark Forces is that you could actually look up and down. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you scroll your mouse up and down. Um, yeah, but it was great to see them from the game. And what I like is it's good to see the writers taking content from, you know, what they call mm. the Legends um, universe and, and carefully bringing it in. So we've had Dark Troopers and Grand Admiral Thrawn and some other things that, that they've been doing. So that, that's good to see. Um, I just wanted to, on Luke Skywalker, just on religious references, and I, I don't, I don't know that they're inserting deliberate, you know, <laughs> in your face religious references, but when, uh, when Luke Skywalker comes in, takes his hood off and, um, and Din says to him, are you, are you a Jedi? And Luke says, I am, <laughs> you, know, oh, and when, yeah. you know, and I was, the, oh, I was like, oh, you know, my, my gospel of Mark, you know, my <laughs> hat, my, you know, my, my Bible hat, just like my ears went, well, you know, like Luke could have said, yes, I am. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. I'm a Jedi. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, Luke has been a bit of an archetype of a Messiah kind of character. And I just thought that connection was pretty cool. Um, but then also when Din is handing over or when he's putting baby, Yoda, no, sorry. I should say Grogu. I keep saying Baby Yoda, <laughs> but when he's putting Grogu down and saying "Go with him," he says, um, "says Don't be afraid." Oh yeah, so that, yeah. yeah. Th- there's all those a those few references hints there here and there. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder Very if good. it's just enmeshed in culture and writers just don't realize unconsciously could, that they're could doing be, it. Or, could be. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good for us. Um, what about the appearance of R two D two? What did you think of that? Oh, that was so good. That was really. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously going to be around with Luke, you know, because they're they're travel buddies, um, and. Yeah, it was kind of cute how um, Grogu took to him as well, it, and you know, just wondered have they met before? Um, yes. Do, do they know each other from somewhere? Um, but it was kind of cute because you know he he needed the confidence to go, and you know R two D two in any case kind of made him felt com- feel comfortable and and happy, like he had a playmate sort of thing. Um, yes. You know, it seemed <laughs> like that. So um, yeah, that was a really cute scene. Yeah, I just wonder, like you said, I just wonder if there's some familiarity. If um, uh, clearly R two would have been rolling around the halls of the Jedi Temple, mm. you know, um, and uh, we know that that Grogu was in the Jedi Temple training yeah. as a you know as a youngling as well. Um, there's, I, I even saw a fan theory that said was R two the one that rescued Grogu mm. when Anakin was purging the temple. I mean, you know, <laughs> so maybe that's what the familiarity could be or, yeah. but either way, yeah, I mean, maybe there's something that they're going to unpack there, which is, which would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think overall? So we've had um, cameo appearances of Ahsoka Tano. We've had Boba Fett. Yeah, now yeah. we've had Luke Skywalker. So they're throwing tons of character. Yeah. Is it, is, is it just fan service or are they, what do you think? Or are they, they doing more? 
I think they are actually using the characters really well. Um, they're not just tokens. Oh, let's just put them in the episode for the fun of it and maybe get generate more audience or whatever. I think they're really tying them into the story really well and making great use of the characters. Um, and it's also so on the other side of it. Yes, us as fans, we're so excited to see those characters come into the episode. But um, yeah, no, uh, totally, hundred percent, love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it is cool to have a bit of fan service. So Rogue yeah. One, for example, pulls in like some of these. Rogue Squadron pilots, yes. you see, you know, they've, they've pulled clips out from, you know, uh, A New Hope or Outtakes and, and used those. Um, we have Wedge Antilles appearing for half a second in, in The Rise of Skywalker oh, as yeah. a gunner, you know, things like that. But yeah, what I, what I really like is that we see in some way how the lives of these characters have continued. Yeah. Um, and it, so, you know, there might be some fan service, but they're actually, they're actually part of the plot. They're actually, yeah. they're, they're important. It's really good. Um, yeah. Cause like yeah. when you're watching, you know, Boba Fett comes in and it just takes you back to the Star Wars films and, and you think, oh, so there's more about him that we, we can learn. You know, there's, he's actually a real character. He's not just some bounty hunter that goes around, you know, <laughs> um, you know, trying to, you know, kill people and collect money. You know, it's, yeah. he's actually got a story. There's actually a full story behind him. Yeah, and it's so great to see a character that's decades old, and they've they've yeah. you know brought him back, developed it, and yeah. and given it something. And it looks like they're going to give him a limited yeah. series of some kind as well. Something. So I mean, I was yeah. excited when they first you know they first you know showed his uniform or his his suit you know on on the series. I was like, oh, this yes. is good. You know, it's going to go somewhere. So um, yeah. yeah. And again, not fan service. His, no. you know, it's like just oh, there's his his suit. Wow, you know, no, like, there's well a lot more to it than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was well yes. written. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a, in the Legends universe, there's a book that I read a long time ago called Tales of Mos Eisley Cantina. Um, and it was basically like short stories of Star Wars characters, including, I think Boba Fett was actually in there as well. And this was a series of two or three books of these different tales. It, the book of Boba Fett sounds a bit like that to me. Not that there's going to be short stories, but that same kind of tone. Like it's not about the main characters. It's not about the force. It's about bounty hunters mm -hmm. and about the scum and villainy side of things. So I'm yeah. excited to see what they do there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. we can stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my final hot take is this. I think the team behind The Mandalorian are so good that they could make a series about anything. I think they could even make a Jar Jar Binks series if they wanted to and make Ooh. it good. I don't think they should do it. <laughs> I just think they could do That's it and, a big and do call, it well. Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're pretty, but I reckon that they could just make anything work if they put their heads to it. Probably. Yep. Yeah, that that wasn't a request for a Jar Jar no, Binks no, series, please, by the no. way. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right, so we'll pass it back to Father Andrew and the team for some real analysis now. Uh, but thank you very much for the opportunity. We just want to wish uh, the team and, and all of your listeners a very Merry Christmas and... And may the Force be with you. And thank you, Lindsay and Caroline, for those great insights. Uh, you pointed out some things that, that even we, uh, we didn't quite uh, pick up on. So thank you for sharing and uh, look forward to talking to you more about it later. So to conclude uh, the episode, there are a bit of, of feedback that we have gotten from listeners that I wanted to share really quick. So yeah. first of Thanks, all, everybody. Yeah, thanks for sending us emails. We like to hear what you guys are, are thinking and, and your insights as well. So the first email that we got was from uh, Chris Potter, who is actually a friend of mine from uh, out here in Wyoming. So he sent us an email and he said, uh, greetings to the Secrets of Star Wars crew. Um, I have a couple of things from the podcast for the episode, Angela, that you and I recorded last week. So chapter um, chapter 15. 
He said the TK-593 and TK-111 numbers may have relevance. 593 is the shuttle number that transports people to Lothal in Star Wars Rebels. And TK-111 is a stormtrooper that appears in The Last of the Droids. You discussed the comment about Mandalore not existing. The Empire realized that they could not control the Mandalorians, so they attempted to wipe them out. It has been referenced a few times throughout the series and is the source of the Beskar Ignats that they paid Din with in Season 1. It is also mm-hmm. similar to what they did to the Lasat people. A lot of the universe seemed to think that the Mandalorians in Mandalore were wiped out. And keep in mind something that was mentioned earlier in one of your podcasts that Mandalore was already not very hospitable planet after their fights with the Jedi. This is part of why their cities were enclosed. It would not have taken much for the Empire to have made that even worse. Even Din thought that it was not possible to return to Mandalore in the discussions he had with Bo-Katan. The remaining Mandalorians are hiding to some extent other than the ones like Sabine's family that joined uh, the Empire. Uh, I'm not sure Sabine's family joined the Empire. That was the, the Saxon family that joined the Empire. But regardless, that's yeah, that's that's kind of exactly what um, was sort of revealed also in this episode as well. Um, from Jason via email, uh, he said there was a callback to the Empire Strikes Back in the Mandalorian Chapter 10. I'm pretty sure that's the episode where they get chased by spiders. Baby Yoda had already been eating the frog lady's eggs before they pulled over, quote unquote, or before they got pulled over. After they crashed in the ice cave, Mando is giving them all sorts of little cans of rations. The cans look like sardine cans, and they have what looks like a chocolate or granola bar and a few other things. The child, as we knew him then, gives Mando a look like, what am I supposed to do with this? It reminded me immediately of Yoda going through Luke's things on Dagobah. (laughs) How do you get so big eating food of this kind? (laughs) And he finds the rations and says, yeah, how do you get so big eating food of this kind? (laughs) I think that may have been why Grogu kept eating things that were more proper to his species, like frogs and frog eggs and spider eggs. So um, he said, I often listen to you while I'm working. So um, he listens to us and um, he said, I love the podcast. This as well as Jimmy's podcast are two highlights of my week and I am excited on the days they release. Keep up the good work. I am a patron. So I am supporting all your work at SQPN and hope you are around for a long time. So awesome. thank you, thank Jason, you. for being a supporter and patron and um, yeah, for, for highlighting that interesting connection to, to Yodan Dagobah. Finally, uh, this evening, we have Catherine from uh, email and she said, uh, after seeing the reaction of R2 seeing Grogu, I'm doubling down on my theory that R2 was the one who rescued Grogu from the temple before Anakin killed the younglings. My husband noticed that Grogu was only ready to go with Luke after seeing R2. Thank you for all your great insights in the podcast. Merry Christmas. So I think that kind of jives with what we're thinking. Yeah. Um, I imagine maybe the Bad Batch will give us some insight on that potential storyline. And that is it from us. So, of course, listeners, please uh, let us know what you thought um, of this episode of The Mandalorian, the season two finale. You can email us and you can comment on our Facebook or Twitter page to let us know. You can email us any feedback at starwars at sqpn.com and you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia and on Twitter at sqpn. Now, of course, we'd like to take a moment and thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, including this week, Adam G, Timothy B, Brian Z, Angela E, and Pat S. 
and now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron. Uh, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you become a new patron at $10 per month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows, including this one, making your gift go even further. So if you've been thinking about becoming a StarQuest patron, now is definitely the time. So visit sqpn.com slash give today to become a patron, and we appreciate all the support that you give us, uh, both financially and, of course, just by being a listener. Also, of course, please subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, your favorite podcast player, or on the SQPN YouTube channel, and just be sure to click the bell to get notifications on new episodes. And to find any and all previous episodes of The Secrets of Star Wars, please visit sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And since we have completed The Mandalorian Season 2, we will be moving back to our bi-weekly release of the podcast. And since it's Christmas time, we are going to be taking a little bit of a break, but we are going to still be releasing an episode in two weeks and we will be releasing our holiday special to everyone. So patrons had early access to it, but it will be released on the podcast in two weeks. And we are want to share it with all of our listeners at that point. And then we will be back after that in January. So be sure to watch the Star Wars Lego holiday special, which was a lot of fun. And then join us on the podcast in a couple weeks for some fun holiday discussions. So until then, Andrew Hermes, thank you for sharing the secrets of Star Wars with us this evening. Thank you, Father. It's been a pleasure. Angela Cialana, thanks for joining us this evening. All right. And may the force be with everybody. And Thomas Sanjurjo, thanks for joining us. It's been wonderful. And Mike Creevy, thanks for joining us and talking about The Mandalorian. You, you all knew I was going to say McClunky again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I didn't want to steal your thunder, man. No. <laughs> it's been it's a, a lot of fun. It's a dangerous word. It is. And once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. <laughs>